Gentlemen, before we start the cast tonight, I'd like to recite a poem. I hope you don't mind. It's only 45 stanzas. Take over. Hey, guys. Alex here. Welcome back to Capacity Geek. And I'm joined, as always, with Bobby and Walter. Say hey, guys. Hey, what's up? Hey, yo. Hey, yo. Shut up! This is not the Bohemian Rhapsody episode. We are not going to do one because I have to voice us in that. Also, fuck Brian Singer. So, it's my week to pick again. And, uh, as much as I dog on Walter for always making us watch... As much as I dog on Walter for making us watch artsy pieces of shit all the time, this is probably the artsiest film that I've picked. Today, we're discussing... The Grand Budapest Hotel, which was nominated for an Academy Award. A lot of Academy Awards. It was nominated for Best Picture in 2015. This movie was nominated for Best Picture in 2015 alongside Birdman, Boyhood, which we covered a little bit during our Bernie review, uh, The Imitation Game, Theory of Everything, Whiplash, a lot of great movies that were nominated for, in 2015 for this uh for the Oscar for Best Picture. And uh, it ended up going to Birdman, but I believe this is the only one that I saw before. Uh, it was nominated for Best Picture, and I think it's the one that I was rooting for, even though I knew it wasn't going to win. It did win a ton of other awards, though. But, uh, yeah, it's critically praised. It's uh, one of Wes Anderson's best films. Uh, Wes Anderson... Uh, now, I don't think I mentioned how I've seen this film when I first saw this film, but uh, I don't think I mentioned when I first saw this film, but it was in community college in my film class. Oh. Yeah. So, Wes Anderson is definitely one of the people you'll hear about if you learn about something called auteur theory, which goes by how every filmmaker has their own distinct style where to the point where if you can if you look at a frame of a movie you'll know exactly who made it um, other notable uh, pe other notable people with auteur theory are often uh, I think Frank uh, Kappa gets in there Brian De Palma um, but Wes Anderson definitely has definitely has the most aesthetic out of all of those I'd have to agree um I don't really like artsy films. Honestly, I went to film school, and I enjoyed my time there, but something about how everybody, has, how everybody was with these artsy films, it just never really appealed to me. Uh, if you ask me what a perfect film is, I'll say Jurassic Park. It's really weird, but that's what I would call a perfect film. And I might get into that another time once I have notes, uh, so I can write down all my thoughts and kind of explain why I say that Jurassic Park is a f is probably a perfect film. But, um, yeah, I just don't fall into that whole artsy-ness to it. But uh, Wes Anderson's pretty cool. I mean, um, some movies, if you guys... I know we've talked before and you guys don't... And you guys haven't seen Wes Anderson films, you don't think? No. I've seen most of Moonrise Kingdom. I was going to say, 
Moonrise Kingdom, if you guys really enjoyed this one, Moonrise Kingdom would be another one that we could cover. Because it's essentially this, but uh, a little bit further more in time in the 60s, I believe. And it's uh, it's definitely a little bit more family-friendly. But it's not to the point of Fantastic Mr. Fox or Isle of Dogs, even. Uh, which I know that you guys have been wanting to watch that one. At least Bobby has, which we can do another episode on that because I own that one. Yeah, Isle of Dogs. Um, I've always thought it was really good. Yeah, and we just talked about stop motion last week with yeah. uh, Mary and Max. Um, this is another... Uh, I believe I did say that Wes Anderson and kind of Leica not really Ardman anymore, but they're kind of the ones that are keeping stop motion together. And uh, Wes Anderson, like I said, he's an auteur, definitely. He's always what I would consider a hipster filmmaker when it just comes to the themes of his films, how everything is symmetrical, just it's definitely that artsy style that you would think draw, would draw me away, but I really dig his style. I do. So, um, have you guys heard of this film before I uh, yeah, ask us to cover it? Yeah? Yeah, I heard of it, heard a lot of the critical <clears throat> praise behind it, but I had just never gotten around to seeing it. Much like I have with other Wes Anderson films like uh, Royal Tenenbaums. Fantastic Mr. Fox, Isle of Dogs. He's very known, but I just hadn't seen any of his stuff. And watching this, I thought it was a really good time, a really fun movie. Really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. It was, I would say, a lot of really dumb fun. A lot of really dumb fun. Like, how would you say dumb? It's obviously not like, you know, an Adam Sandler film, dumb. Oh, God, no. 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 It doesn't, it doesn't even equate to that amount of uh, uncensored episode, everybody. Well, I mean, it's, an, it's a pretty it's a pretty graphic movie, if you get them to think about it. So, I guess, fuck. 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 It doesn't even equate to that amount of bullshit. <laughs> Apparently, the Proud Boys was good, though, and uh, that... Other one that's coming out this Uncut year. Uncut Diamonds. Uncut Diamonds. I did see Uncut, Uncut Gems. I did see an article earlier today where Adam Sandler threatened to make the worst movie ever if he didn't get any Oscar praise for Uncut Gems. <laughs> <laughs> so, Adam, I'm ready. I am ready, Mr. Sandler. Let's do this. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Oh, man. Fuck artsy people. Uh,. So, how did you feel about the framing of this story, where it goes from... Because it's hard to... You don't remember it when you get into the actual nitty-gritty of the story, but about 10 minutes of the story... Of the 10 minutes of the beginning of the story is kind of framing the entire movie, where it's a girl in, I believe, 1980, um, sitting down... It's a girl in the 1980s, I believe it says, uh, sitting down in front of a bench, reading a book, Grand Budapest Hotel. It goes to the author of the book as an old man, then it goes to him as a young man played by Jude Law, meeting Zero Mustafa, 
played by F. Murray Abraham. Uh, I'm naming these... I'm naming certain people because the thing with uh, Wes Anderson, he definitely likes to put his friends in cameos here. And uh, I did notice you guys pointed them out while we were watching the movie, a couple of the cameos. But, yeah. Um, for example, the current uh, connoisseur. What's the word? Concierge. The current concierge is played by uh, Jason Swart. Jason Schwartzman, and uh, if you know Jason Schwartzman, he's uh, Scott Pilgrim, he's Gideon, uh, Gordon Graves. He's uh, in a band called Phantom Planet, if you guys have heard that one. Pretty good band. Um, and he's also the son of Shelley, but not, he's also the son of Talia Shire. Yeah. That w- and that means that he's a Coppola. There are so many Coppolas in this world, bro. Yeah. So many. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, uh, who else is a Coppola? Who else? Who uh, else come to mind? Talia Shire. I think Nick Cage is a Coppola. Yeah, Nick Cage is a Coppola. Oh, Nick Cage, Jesus. Yeah, Nick Cage is a distant relative of the Coppolas. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what Francis Ford Coppola thought of National Treasure. <laughs> he produced it. <laughs> I was about to say. I, I wonder what Nick Cage thought about that movie Jack, where um, uh, Robin Williams plays a kid that got aged up, and like at the end, I think he fucks Fran Drescher. I think at the end he dies. Does he die at the end of Jack? Well, I know he dies at the. I know he's dead now, but I. Nothing for that. Nothing for my actually, in poor taste. I, Robin Williams joke. I don't joke. mean to correct you, but uh. Nick Cage isn't quite a distant relative of Francis Ford Coppola. Uh-huh. Francis Ford Coppola is Nick Cage's uncle. Okay, not a, not a distant relative, but... No, that's pretty direct. It's a pretty direct, yeah, relation right there. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, uh, Jason Schwartzman, uh, one of the first cameos in here. Uh, well, Jude Law and F. Murray Abraham. Uh... But I really wouldn't consider them cameos. I wouldn't cons- No, I wouldn't. Because they are technically the main characters, at least Zero is. Um, but then we jump to the final frame of the story. This film, I know that uh, there's something with the aspect ratios, but they change mm-hmm. um, per where we are. So when we're in the little girl, uh, when we're in the girl with the book, it's completely wide. And then it gets kind of smaller and smaller the more we go in. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, some artsy bullshit. But, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah. I lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah. But uh, we get to the final frame in the story where it's Zero as a young man uh, meeting the concierge. Uh, fuck, I forgot his name. Gustav, right? Yes. Yeah. Monsieur Gustav. Mo- uh, yep, Gustav H, played by Ray Fiennes, which uh, gotta be his best role. Uh, I've seen Ray Fiennes obviously in Harry Potter. He's M in the newer James Bond movies. Uh, he's um, he was in a movie called Constant Gardener, which we also watched in that film class. That's pretty good, but I gotta say. My favorite role of his is Gustav. Just the swagger, the purple suit that he always wears. 
it's great. And uh, also uh, Zero, Young Zero. Uh, I wasn't going to try his name, but Guatemalan actor, uh, he's Flash Thompson in the Spider-Man films. Oh, he's the dick. He's the dick. But um, he's great as Young Zero. Uh, but yeah. Um, somebody else say something, please. Adrian Brody, anyone? Yeah, Adrian Brody as one of the main villains in this movie. Willem Dafoe. <laughs> Just... I, did he speak? Yeah, he did. I think, like, he was on the phone in, like, three separate parts of the movie. Yeah, he spoke. He wasn't mute. He just didn't have many lines. He was no. clearly there as a presence. No, and um, who else is in this joint? Uh, Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson. Bill Murray. Yes. I think I saw Martin Mull in there. George Clooney, question mark? Yeah, I think I, you, you did point out George Clooney in there for a little bit. And he is obviously Mr. Fox and Fantastic Mr. Fox. I haven't seen a lot more Wes Anderson films than you guys, but uh, I've seen a couple. But Bill Murray's in most of them. Uh, Owen Wilson, obviously, in Royal Tenenbaums. Uh, and Bottle Rocket, I think. That was Wes Anderson's first film, I think, with Owen and his brother Luke. Apparently they were friends in college, that's what I heard. Oh. Yeah, the three of them. But, um, yeah. Edward Norton? Yeah, Ed Norton's in this. You know, it's got all the cameos in this uh, case over here. Well, I mean, not cameos, but... Who else? Ed Norton? Jeff Goldblum? Jeff freaking Goldblum. I don't understand why they haven't mentioned Jeff Goldblum yet. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, uh, um, yes. Yes. Mm, yeah. Ah. Uh, oh. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, Jeff Goldblum. Which, he's great in this. He's great in everything, but... um. You know what else he's great in? What? Jurassic Park. Perfect film. I really think I, I'm itching for extra bits tonight to be my rant on why Jurassic Park is a perfect film. Do it. Okay. Let's do it. All right, we're gonna do that. Or should that be a bonus episode? We could, we could do like Jurassic Park versus Jurassic World. Okay. Jurassic Park fucking wins. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, for the new millennium. No, the new decade. This isn't the nostalgia critic. We're not going to do old versus new. Uh, um, Fuck Doug Walker. <laughs> <laughs> we could save that for an episode, like where we each bring like our favorite films to the table and be like, "This is why." No, I feel like my my thing has my rant has to be like a twenty minute, just whatever the fuck I'm about to say, and we just sit back. It's yeah, only, it's only fifty five boys. What? <clears throat> so it's only eight fifty five boys. Oh yeah. You could still do boys get canceled tonight. Why are you giving us show notes while we're actually recording an episode? That seemed to be seemed to not really be recording. Or not not recording, but we're, we're kinda of rambling. We're rambling yes. a little bit, but that that's us. We don't it's in the style of this film. Everybody rambles in this goddamn Boys film. Boys get canceled coming soon. You'll understand what that means. Like three weeks ago when we actually released the episode. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, characters always tend to ramble in Wes Anderson films. I don't know how much ad-libbing goes on in these films, but it seems like a lot. Um, but, like I said uh, to you guys, 
off the, off the show. But um, a lot of Wes Anderson films, at least this one, uh, they're funny. But they always just kind of have that little bit of sadness to them. Oh, yeah. Especially this movie. Like, if you come to think of it, like, the ending of this movie is obviously really sad. Where we realize that Zero... Lost everybody. He, yeah. And he keeps the hotel for his dead wife because he says they were happy there, at least for a little while. And it's really sad because he's a refugee. He'd, he literally is zero. He has zero experience, zero education, zero family. And Gustav takes him under his wing. And by the end of it, he still has zero. Even though he was the richest man in his country at one point, thanks to Gustav's fortune that was left to him through this whole conspiracy that is very convoluted and contrived, and uh, I can only understand it a little bit more than I think I understand another Owen Wilson film, Inherent Vice, because I've seen that movie three times, and I still don't understand what the fuck is going on in that movie. I've never even heard of that movie. Have you never heard of Inherent Vice? No. With Joaquin Phoenix? No. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. We might just have to watch that. That might not be an episode, because I don't know what the fuck is going on in that movie. (laughs) Just 20 minutes of an episode of us screaming. Oh, God, no. You want to hear screaming? I watched the 1980 Popeye movie yesterday. Oh, God. God. It it got the two... uh, No, it was an hour and 58. They made a two-hour Popeye movie in 1980. Who the hell asked for that? I felt like I was watching it for, like, three years. It just kept going. <laughs> and it was a musical, and they let Shelley Duvall do her own singing. What the fuck? Why would you do that? Did Robin Williams do his own Yes, everybody did their own singing besides the guy who played Bluto. And guess what? He had the best song! <laughs> Yeah, and you want to know something? Its budget was twenty million. It made sixty million. It's a success. It's just, uh, it's often considered a failure accidentally because it didn't meet studio expectations, but it's a success. Yeah, it made money. It made money. Fuck, dude. <laughs> Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, so, what were some of you guys' favorite scenes from it? The, the scene where they kill off Willem Dafoe's Yeah, theory. that yeah, was the biggest laugh. I knew I knew that was going to get you guys, where you, he's, he's reciting the poem and he just gets pushed. I love how... Holy shit, you did it! Yeah, holy shit, you got him! <laughs> uh, and uh, I was saying to you guys before, um, another thing about Wes Anderson, everything has kind of an old-timey feel, and the effects in this, they look really bad. Oh, yeah. like intentionally so like I believe like the cable car is going up I know they use miniatures they have like a miniature of the Grand Budapest Hotel uh, for when it shows the wide angle shots I like that yeah but um, yeah especially that ski race when they're chasing oh, Willem Dafoe that is completely fake it had to be like stop motion sped up or something or, or like, even like micro like, machines. I was gonna, or like how they used to do it, maybe on the uh, zoomed in shots where they'd be on a stationary thing in the background would be. Oh yeah, I think. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's a staple in a Wes Anderson film because I know that they use that angle in Fantastic Mr. Fox as well. 
where people are like they're they're on a motorbike and they're driving and it's like a fisheye lens almost where yeah but um yeah so that's how they used to do like car scenes they would have the background moving but the actors stationary yeah and uh i wouldn't be surprised if this film was shot on film too just wes anderson is the hipster director So, um, what are some of your favorite characters in this movie? I definitely like Zero uh, and Gustav. They're very likable characters, as they should be. I thoroughly enjoyed Deputy Kovacs with the little bit of time that we got to spend with him. Oh, yeah. I, I always get bummed out when he dies. But it, it, it's so just painful. I don't know if you guys were looking um, uh, at the scene, but, like, um, he's about to leave and then... His fingers just get cut yeah, off by yeah. that. Oh, my God. That was cringeworthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something about the Willem Dafoe character. He always... Whoever he kills, he always mutilates, I believe. He cuts off uh, that... Uh, he cuts off that guy's sister's head, the club-footed one. Um, I don't know what he does with that guy, but I think he just strangles him. But then he also uh, chops off Kovacs' fingers. You know? And I think he takes a little piece of everybody... But I can't be too sure. Um, right, but... What do you guys think of, like, the art direction in this film? Like, the outfits, just the color palette. There's one shot I love in particular where Agatha and Zero are looking at each other while they're in a carousel, and it's just Zero looking at Agatha, and she just has her face illuminated by the different carnival lights while the back of her is also being just the little bulbs. I forget what the technique is called, where it's a very sharp focus in the front, but the background is all blurry and it has kind of like the lights. Uh, It's also a photography technique. I should know it. I'm a photography major, but I do not remember what it's called for the life of me, but it's just a very gorgeous shot. Um, But I know the movie has a ton of those, so what were some of your favorite shots in this film? I... I enjoyed that shot. It's gorgeous. I enjoyed the aesthetic in general. I really liked uh, the shot when Gustav is hanging off the cliff towards the end. Oh, yeah. Like, I thought that was really good scenery, really, just really good, like, really good shots, really good lighting. thought that looked really good. Everything looked good in this movie. Basically what Walter said. This movie is a pretty fucking movie. And also what you said. And can we also talk about Agatha's uh, birth mark for yeah. like half second? In the shape of Mexico. Right? And, yeah, on her right cheek. That's just a Wes Anderson touch. It's just the surrealist of it. But I do also like the fact that this film also feels very lived in where they don't take very long to describe characters to you. It's like, uh, oh, that's Zero Mustafa. You should know who that is. He was one of the highest regarded richest men in the wor- in this country. But it's a country you haven't heard of. It's a guy you haven't heard of, but you catch on pretty or you catch on really quickly. And this film kind of tells you everything you need to know about it right in that opening hotel scene. Because you see Boy with Apple there. You know they have Boy with Apple still. 
And you know that Zero's the owner of the hotel. And now it's just telling you, how did he get the Apple? The How did he get Boy with Apple? And how did he get the hotel? They don't even draw much attention to Boy with Apple. Did you guys notice the painting in the first opening? Um, how it's just right there in the concierge desk? No. No. It don't like stand out to me until the ending scene where they put it back. You know everything. Yeah, but it's like right there for you, and I love it when films do that. Where it's like they'll show you what's going on, and if you catch on, you'll know it. But it's gonna be revealed to you later, and you have kind of like this light bulb moment where oh wait that was there. One of my favorite examples is in Steven Universe the movie. Uh, which came out this year, um, in the beginning where Steven is broadcasting his message of, pe- message of peace across the galaxy, and we see just one empty planet it's being projected to, and it looks like a ton of grassy foliage. But we learn later that the villain Spinel was actually on that planet, and one of the shapes that they show, because they draw it like a background, they don't draw it like a character, one of the shapes in that shot of the planet earlier on was actually Spinel's foot. And that's one of my favorite details. And uh, Walter technically hasn't watched Steven Universe. Walter hasn't seen Steven Universe. So we could technically do Steven Universe the movie. But I feel like we'd be spoiling the show for him if we just show him the movie. Yeah, we can't do Steven Universe featured in that drops either because that'll be spoiling everything. Yeah. We are in the future. <sighs> I love that movie so much. I recently put out a list of my top movies of the year, and it's number two, only to Rocket Man. It's pretty deep. Yeah, I love I love Steven Universe the movie so much. But uh, back to Grand Budapest Hotel because we've actually been on topic for a good amount of time. So, have we now? Yeah, 26 minutes. I think 80% of it was actually talking about the movie. I feel more like 60. Okay, I... but that's good for us. <laughs> um, I don't know. What, what scenes did you not like? I know the prison stuff is kind of daunting, to me, honestly. I don't know. It's just I always kind of doze off during that, that stuff. I, think... I, I did like, though, how in certain parts of the prison sequence... Where Gustav, really, he seemed to be running the show, no matter what. Yeah. Like, you know, he's uh, he's doing his speech, prison guards to one side, prisoners to the other. He's He was running that bitch. Right. Up until, like, the very end, where he ultimately gives his life for zero, but up until the very end, it always seems like Gustav has everything under control and he's running the show. Except that one scene where he yells at zero... And then realizes, wow, I'm an asshole. Yeah. That was kind of racist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the prison stuff, that lost me there for a few. Well, thanks for repeating what I said, but... Alright, um... More for the children today, from the start. So, no, nothing today. Thanks for pointing out my house. So, uh, any closing remarks? Wow, we went on for 26 minutes, boys. We're more like 20 minutes, 28. 
It depends on how much gets edited. Yeah. Wow, it's only 9.12 in the evening, too, so that's something. Is there anything we want to talk about this movie? Anything else? I mean, we pretty much, well, we covered as much of it as we could. There is a lot going on with it. There is a lot. There is a lot. Um, Do we want to talk about, like, Adrian Brody for a minute? Sure, let's talk about Adrian Brody. What else are we going to talk about? I don't know, but, uh, what has Adrian Brody actually done since this film? Um, I think he was in that H&M ad that, uh, no, wait, that was Jeff Goldblum, because Wes Anderson did an H&M ad, and Jeff Goldblum was in it. I think it was Oh. He did some Chinese film last year. Uh-huh. Airstrike, also known as The Bombing, or Unbreak the Spirit. Uh-huh. Directed by Xiao Fang about the Japanese bombing of um, Sean King. Of the, Sean King? Sean King. Sean King. That's racist. It is. <laughs> but uh, Bruce Willis was in it, too. What the hell? Yeah, Bruce Willis played a guy named Jack. Adrian Brody played a guy named Steve. Fan Bingbing played somebody who... Didn't run off because of tax evasion. I was going to say, like... We know about it, Fan Bing Bing. He's come out of hiding now. No, she's back. They found oh, her. Oh, right. They, they found her. She was, like, missing for, like, a couple months there. Oh, God. Yeah. Tax evasion, man. Turns out the government had her. She wasn't missing at all. Oh? Yeah. The goddamn Chinese government. Great. Now we're banned in time. <laughs> Great, now we're banned in China and BlizzCon. Free Hong Kong. Free Hong Kong. Don't buy Overwatch. Bobby? I own Overwatch. One of my former co-workers is the mom of a professional Overwatch they play. Bobby. Look at me. Waifus are temporary. Friendship is forever. <laughs> I think this entire portion, like from Free Hong Kong to this, should have, uh, it should probably be, like, you know. Edited out? Spanish flea. Jeff, make it happen. God damn it. I think we're just bullshitting at the end of this. Just like right after Free Hong Kong, Spanish flea. I think right after I said today we're talking about Grand Budapest Hotel, we're just going to cut the entire show. <laughs> oh, man. Uh,. Well, good night, everybody.